Well, friends, we have been in a series titled, We Are Anchor of Hope. Um, it seems like a very self-evident thing since the name on the, the side of the church building says Anchor of Hope Church. But some of the reason, the heart behind why we're going through this series is that up until a few weeks ago, uh, the sign read Florence Evangelical Church. And there's nothing wrong with that name. Really, all that means is we're a gospel-based church in Florence. That's really what that means. And we belong to a, uh, a tribe of, uh, of other like-minded people. Um, that's not a weird kind of term. That's just how we talk about ourselves. <laughs> anyway, uh, called the Evangelical Church, we have a rich history dating all the way back to well, uh, the Methodist movement in the 1700s and eventually a missionary movement out here to uh, the great Northwest. And so uh, I am really, I'm blessed to have some guests of ours from the Swiss Home Evangelical Church here today. And I'm excited to have them here as well because they are a sister church of ours. And so even though the name on the outside has changed, our commitment to God and the gospel still remains true and still remains the same in that way. Our heart is still beating the same for uh, God's good news that Jesus Christ came to live a perfect life, die in our place, and rise on the third day to give us new life. And so we are anchor of hope. And so we're exploring what does that really mean? If we were to just go beyond just saying this is our name, this is who we are, what does it really mean who we are? And so our first week, you can go to the next slide, we'll do some review. Our first week, we talked about our, our vision for our church, which uh, is to be restoring hope in our community one person at a time. We want to see that here in Florence because there's so many people, both here in this room, as well as outside the walls of these church, this church building and others in Florence, out there who need hope, who need to experience hope, but not just feel good feelings to, you know, have good vibes and, and high tides or whatever people say nowadays, uh, but real hope, hope that brings them back to life, that restores their soul. And we believe as a church that that is Jesus Christ, that he is our hope, and that he's completely changed my life. I believe he's probably changed yours in some way. And so how do we share that with other people? And that's that restoring piece. And really, uh, like all life coaching does nowadays, they want you to come up with a smart goal, a specific, measurable, attainable, repeatable, I think is the R. R stands for something. And then time bound is a smart goal. That one's for free. But anyway, what's really great about that is restoring our hope in our community one person at a time. That's this grandiose vision. But how do we do that? We do that just with the person we're, we run into at Freddy's or Safeway or grocery outlet if you frequent there. Or it doesn't have to be a grocery store, although food is always good. Um, and, uh, you know, it could be when you go to True Value or just... You're doing whatever you do normally in life, and you're meeting up with somebody, you're interacting with them. How do you bring Jesus into that situation? How do you share Jesus and what he's done in your life in that situation? So that's that vision piece. That's what we want to see happen. 
Then there's the how-to, like why do we exist and how do we get there is our mission. And that is to live like Jesus and share his love. Uh, we get that idea from that great commission that Jesus gave his disciples. It's at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Um, I won't turn there at the moment, but really the heart for our church of why we exist is to be disciples who go and make more disciples. And really all that means is that we have chosen to give our lives to follow Jesus with everything we've got. And part of that following is to go and do the same thing that he does with us by sharing in life with, with other people um, and ultimately sharing his love, showing his love to, uh, to the people around us. And so that's our mission. That's why we exist. And that's if you were to sum everything up of why has God kept us here at the corner of Laurel and Rhododendron all these years, uh, whether it's been these phrases or other iterations of them, that's the heartbeat. That's why we're here. And that's why I'm so excited for what God has in store for us and for you today. Now, you can go to the next slide. The title for today's message is Committed. We're going to take the next five weeks to talk through five specific values that we have as a church. Uh, they all uh, wrap themselves around both the Great Commandments and the Great Commission. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, these really key cornerstone statements from Jesus himself. Uh, and so the title for today's message is Committed. That's a value of ours. Our, the passage is Matthew 22, 34 through 40. And the big idea that we're going to be exploring together is that, is that value. We are committed to God and his word, so we teach from the Bible. You could also insert in, in the word teach, you could also say learn from the Bible. Because, you know, uh, how many of you know <laughs> that in order to teach something, you have to learn it first as well. And so we value God and we value his word, and so we're committed to him. And so that's why the Bible is our source for connecting with God. So the idea of committed, I was trying to come up with some really profound illustration, and I wasn't able to find one, but I was thinking as we were worshiping, gosh, what's a, what's a thing about being committed? Uh, and not in the, the way like committed to a, an institution or something. <laughs> uh, you know. Anyway, <laughs> um, I digress. So what does it mean to be committed? Something that happened to me this last week, uh, we've been in the process of buying a house. So most of you know that. And um, we have had to sign a ton of papers. I hate signing my name <laughs> because there's so many things to sign. And this last week, I thought everything was done. We had closed on the house. It's been a couple weeks since we closed, praise God. <laughs> and so Angie let me know, I think it was on Monday, Tim, you got to go to the title company and you got to sign another paper. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> so I, in the course of my day, I went to the title company just in an old town and, and I signed this document. But right before I did, I decided, what is this? Why am I having to sign this? Because I had... I don't have the time to read through this document. And most of it, I don't even know what it would even mean. And so um, thankfully the gal came out and she said, oh, this is just, 
you know, uh, the person who wanted to invest the money in your loan, they just wanted it reworded. And so we're, we're taking a step back and we're just filling in that gap there. But signing your name to something, that's a big commitment, isn't it? Um, I, I'm, I keep trying to teach my kids when you shake a hand and you're making an agreement with somebody, that means something. Because if you, if you go back on that agreement, then what's your word really worth? Now, how that all factors into today is committed. What, uh, you know, we are committed to God and His Word, but what does that really mean for us? I think for me, uh, it, it boils down to that relationship piece. And if we were to look at, you know, this moment in the gospel, uh, this is this is a big moment. Uh, Jesus has just entered Jerusalem. Palm Sunday has just happened. Uh, and, you know, Jesus, he has a very full itinerary. Uh, he has gotten stuff done. It's kind of like when the president first gets into office, but he wasn't in office yet. But, like, get stuff done in the first week so people think that you're doing... Anyway, I digress. I'm digressing too much. Here we go. But Jesus, he, he just entered Jerusalem with his disciples to celebrate the Passover. And what makes this so unique is this had happened a couple of other times, I'm sure. They, don't, they aren't recorded in the gospel accounts, but this moment is. And he had taken his disciples to celebrate Passover because that's what a good Jew did. And as a first century rabbi, he had his disciples, his students, his, uh, his apprentices coming along with him to celebrate this amazingly pitiful, not pitiful, pinnacle, there's the word I'm searching for, festival for them because this celebrated when God saved them out of Egypt and brought them, was going to bring them into the promised land. This was a moment where, uh, you know, the Passover is when uh, God sent a plague on Egypt, and they were supposed to put the blood of a lamb over, you know, on the corners of the doorposts, and if there was the blood of the lamb there, then that, uh, that spirit would, you know, pass over them and not kill the firstborn who was inside. And so God spared anybody who was in that, that room. So Jesus, he's, he's gone there, but he is pushing buttons. <laughs> uh, right away, he gets to work. He cleanses the temple. That's what usually the heading reads. Uh, very first thing he does, he gets into town. He goes to the temple, and he's just enraged at the scene that he sees there. And I won't go into that right now because that's a sermon for another time. But He's, he's challenging their status quo and their expectations and of the religious elite who were there. And within that is some different conversations that have happened. And so right before this moment, um, there were two main groups of religious elite. There were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Um, the Pharisees weren't fair, you see. And the Sadducees, they did not believe in the resurrection, and so they were sad, you see, for the win. Anyway, <laughs> um, that's, that's the easy Sunday school answer of why that, that, uh, that works that way. But Jesus has just, uh, a Sadducee has, had come to him. They're having this, you know, meeting of the minds conversation, and they want to question and challenge him, like, 
Jesus, what do you believe about this? And he just got questioned about his belief about the resurrection. And then the Pharisees, they saw his answer, and they're like, well, we want a piece of Jesus, so now we're going to ask our question. And so it's into this conflict that we get to read today. Are you ready? I am. Okay, let's go ahead and go to the next slide. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 22, um, or you can follow along with me on the screen. Matthew 22, beginning in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he, meaning Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Friends, this is the word of the Lord recorded by the Apostle Matthew. And the first observation I see here, you can go to the next slide, is that we all want to know what matters most, don't we? We all want to know what matters most. Now, the special thing about the Pharisees and the Sadducees is that they were were the professional scripture knowers. Like, they would be the ones where you could say, hey, what does Isaiah such and such say about this? And they would be able to rattle it off verbatim. There was even a point, uh, you know, within their education system where these were the guys who would have memorized the entire scriptures from Genesis through Malachi, all memorized. And so they knew it, and then they even memorized what people thought about these things. And so the Pharisees, they were people who wanted to know what matters most. What's interesting is that, you know, we, we just came out of a series in Nehemiah where the people had, um, they had realigned themselves with God and His Word. And God had rescued them. He had helped them build this wall. It was great. Amazing revival happened for the people of Israel. And as a result of that moment, from then on, what happened was the people, they didn't want to mess up. They did not want to go against God and His Word. And so what did they do? They studied the Scripture. Their whole culture of a society of people was centered around the Scriptures and what God had to say. And they would argue about, okay, which commandment is actually the most important? Like, oh, well, I think it's this. Oh, well, I think it's that. And even though the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus. And even though, I mean, they have bad intention with this. 
it's interesting to me that this expert in religious law, they led out with the question, Jesus, which is the greatest commandment? What's the one that if I happen to mess up on all the other ones, I got to make sure I get this one right? What is it? And I think, you know, in a divine turn, a twist of fate, I think this guy's heart was really exposed a little bit. Because as an expert in religious law, I'm sure he had some ideas of what he thought was the most important. Or, oh, well, you can't really boil it down to just one. How about top 10? <laughs> you know, uh, like the Ten Commandments. Wouldn't that be great? So, but Jesus didn't do that. And the guy, he just, he honestly says, you know, which is the greatest commandment? And I think that for all of us, when we are introduced to this life of faith, we all have that question, okay, God, what's actually important for me to do? You know, uh, I know that Paul says in Ephesians that we're saved by grace through faith, amen. You know, there, you know there's no work that I can do that can earn my salvation. So Jesus, you've already done all this. And, uh, you know, that's our perspective now. But what is actually most important? And so Jesus gives an answer. Um, you can go to the next slide. Love is the reason for our commitment is another thing I see in our passage because Jesus, he points out this verse. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, and all your mind. And that is actually, it's a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6. You can go to the next slide as well. So for your typical Jewish person, they still do this today. They would pray this prayer. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must, and then this isn't part of the prayer, but, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And this, the, that first verse, or the verse four, four and five, that's what's called the Shema. And so even like when a famous Jewish person will get interviewed today and they're asked about their faith, they'll even reference this, like what's actually important about your belief. And it's that the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And then it goes on, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But Jesus didn't mention one. You can go to the next slide. So we love with what? What do we love with? This unconditional love, if we're supposed to love God, what did Jesus cite in Matthew here? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. What's missing? Strength. Yeah. Jesus here, what's recorded in Matthew, strength is not mentioned. 
Yet when the same moment is recorded, I think it's in Luke's gospel, uh, you know, a couple pages to the right, um, it's cited, you know, verbatim from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6. What's so important about that? Why would Jesus point out heart, soul, and mind, but then leave off strength? I would submit to you that maybe it's because the Pharisees were already trying to do so much in their own strength to try to curry favor with God. That both for this specific lawyer and for all of us, it's not about what we do. It's not the doing of the commandments that is the most important. God's looking at the heart. Where is your heart at? Do you actually love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind? The stuff that's inside your, your whole being, even though it's not mentioning your body, like everything that makes you, you, do you actually love God with all of that or not? And so the interesting thing about having this, uh, this verse as sort of a, a source verse for this value of ours is that Jesus, he's, he's putting our love for God at the top of first priority or at the core, if you will. But basically, this is absolutely essential. Step one, you got to love God. That's what's most important. That's what matters most. You have to love the Lord. Even in the last book of the New Testament in Revelation, there's one of the churches that uh, Jesus is uh, speaking to, and he says, you do all these great things, but there's one thing I have against you. You've forgotten your first love. Repent and go and do the things you did at first. So then what would that look like for us to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind? Well, I think, you know, for starters, it, it gets to the core of having that value and that commitment to God and His Word. And so as an action, we learn and we teach from the Bible. We're not just making this stuff up on our own. We're not just like, hey, I think this would be a really great idea. And I, you know, I have one of those fiddler on the roof moments where, you know, the good book says, and it doesn't actually say that. <laughs> but we, we go to the Bible and we say, God, what does your word say? And then whatever it says, we put ourselves underneath it. Not because God is some sort of mean taskmaster who's trying to just get at us and try to, I don't know, fix us up in a, a particular way and just being mean to us. Why we do this is out of love. It's out of gratefulness. It's out of a recognition that, God, you have done so much to save me and to bring me into your family. 
God, I value what you say above everything else. And so love is really at the heart of that commitment. It's not just a legal transaction. It's not just me going to the title company and having to sign another piece of paper with my name on it. It's saying, God, I love you because you love me. You loved me first even when I was the most unlovable person in the whole wide world. Even when I was still sinners, was a sinner, God died for me in my place. And then he gave me a new life through the reality of the resurrection. And so within this great command, the most important commandment, it all comes down to love. And so in your life, what does that mean for you? What, it, what might God be wanting to ask you to place him above a certain thing? So I know, uh, you know, here's an example. Within our relationships, uh, you know, my wife Angie, of all my earthly relationships, she means the most to me in that way. But at the end of the day, there's still one who rises above that, and that's God. And that's for both of us, that, that that's way, that way. But it wasn't always that way. When we were dating, man, I idolized her. I was that, you know, typical lovesick puppy kind of guy where I was just like, wow, you're so great. I put her on this pedestal and all of that. And, but that wasn't really love. <laughs> anyway, but... <laughs> Well, I mean, anyway, I digress. But in that season, I was putting her in the place of God. You know, for some of us, maybe it's a hobby that we're putting in the place of God. Maybe it's, you know, a, a certain type of media that we like. Whether, you know, I know a lot of us in our community, we love sports. Do we put that above God? Do we put our profession above God? That, oh, I love being a receptionist, or I love being, you know, an outdoorsy kind of person. Uh, for me, a couple weeks back, I mentioned how I used to be a barista. Still love making coffee. I just don't anymore in that way. But, you know, I had a ton of pride of being a barista, and so am I putting being a barista above being in love with God? For you, is it fill in the blank? Are you putting that as a priority in your life? Or are you and me, are we committing to God that we're going to give him everything we've got because he's worthy of it? And so as a church, as a, as a family of faith, we're committed to God and his word. So we teach from the Bible. The last thing I see in our passage, you can go to the next slide, is that our greatest fulfillment is found in what God has said. At the very end there, at verse 40, it says, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And that, you know, for the Pharisee, who was trying to say, what's the greatest command? What do I need 
to fulfill. Even though I am broken, what do I need to try to do? Jesus is saying, love the Lord and love others. And everything that God has required of you to do, it rests on these things. And as I was reflecting this week on, on this whole topic of commitment and, and, and this specific verse, it seems like it comes down to intimacy with the Lord. That there is something in my life that if I am lacking in some way, my greatest fulfillment is found not in just some quick fix scheme, not some band-aid that I can just slap on it and say, I'm hanging in there, I'm doing okay. But my greatest fulfillment is actually found in the person, God. And how I interact with that is through his word. What he has said, what's been recorded down and passed on down through all these years in the Bible that's how I find fulfillment. And that's how you find fulfillment. Even the, the songs that we sing for worship all have their source in the scriptures. Everything we do, the prayers that we pray, are all sourced from a relationship that is inspired by the scriptures. Everything about our faith, it comes down to this book. But I would submit to you the challenging thought, this is just a book, technically. What gives this book value is that I have a relationship with the author. God is the one who has preserved these words for me and for you. It's like when... I used to try to write love letters and would always fall short all the time. But, you know, when you would, you know, maybe write a letter to somebody, anybody, you have some kind of a relationship with that person that you're trying to connect with them. And then reading the letter one time doesn't do it. You need to read it again and maybe again and again and again. And then it feels like, oh, there's this connection there. And like, you hang on every word or you're trying to read into every word, right? Uh, but you're trying to figure out, hey, what is this person trying to tell me? The very first time I ever picked up a Bible, it was, I know it was written in English and I know it was the King James Version back then. But, um, and so that's even its own confusing bit of stuff, but it was like it was Greek to me. I didn't understand what was going on. But then over the years, I read it, and I reread it, and I reread it, and I try to just think, okay, God, will you please, Holy Spirit, will you open the scriptures to me to help me see what you have for me today? And I know that's not just because I'm a pastor. I'm just, you know, yes, that's a role I fill in this church, but at the foot of the cross, we're all equal. And that means that as, as a relationship piece, you can do this too. And if you don't do it, I would just encourage and challenge you to say, hey, if you don't have a Bible, we'll get you one. If you don't have a Bible, we have those handy-dandy little cards that can get you to a Bible app. 
that if you have a smartphone, you can even get there. We have more access today to the Word of God than at any other time in history. We will get this for you. But the important thing is that God wants to speak to you. And He wants to speak to me. Because He wants a relationship with you. And it it doesn't relationships just don't work very well if it's just a one-sided conversation. Um, It's kind of a funny thought, but it's true at the same time that for me, if I was just, if I had accepted Christ, but then I just kept my Bible closed and I said, okay, God, I don't actually want to hear what you have to say. Thank you for grace. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you but I don't want to hear what you have to say, that'd be, that'd be pretty insulting in a way because if you're thinking of it as if you and I were sitting down having a conversation and I just put my hands over my ears and said, I don't want to hear it, whatever you have to say. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, I'm glad we have this connection together. But nope, nope, I don't want to hear That'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? (laughs) Or that'd be weird. I think the same is true about our life of faith, that for us, it's important for us to listen to what God has said. And even though this word, we believe it to be the inspired word of God, for a variety of reasons, we believe that this is what's ultimately going to give us the most fulfillment. You can go to the next slide. There's two really important verses. There's a lot of other verses that would support these, but these were ones that kind of came to mind. Again, in Deuteronomy, Moses is reminding the people about the law of the Lord, and he's bringing up all these different commandments and things, and he's reminding them about how God fed them in the wilderness with manna, but that that practice and that, that discipline that they were supposed to participate in, in faith, that God was going to provide this supernatural bread from heaven, all of that was so that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, that they would understand that we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And then in the New Testament, there's a letter that Paul wrote to his protege, Timothy. Uh, In 2 Timothy 3, it says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And so we are sustained by and we're nourished by God's word. So my encouragement to you today, you can go to the last slide. I think that's the last one. Is that this is, we've been talking about this value for our church. And we didn't just come out, you know, pluck it out of thin air. Like we are looking to the scriptures for this inspiration of of values. But ultimately, it's not just that it's our family value, it's a value that we all can grasp onto. Because if you have committed your 
life to the Lord, you've said yes to Jesus and his gift of salvation, then this kind of commitment to God and his word, that's something that we all can participate in. That's, it's not just our family, it's also you individually. And so I would encourage you, more, probably more than any other encouragement I, I may give you other than to seek out salvation, is just to get into the Word. And even if you think you've read it a thousand times, there's still something for you to pick up on. And, and with all that, that, that's all I have to say about being committed. Um, let's go ahead and pray.